Good morning, everybody. It's my joy to get to be with you this morning. Uh, so I do want to, um, as we begin, just send my um, uh, send Pastor Chris's warm regards. He is, as Andrew mentioned, um, home taking care of his family uh, with a bit of stomach bug, but we're praying for them and um, expecting and hoping they'll be back uh, next week. Um, but every time he's not here, he's always really sad because he actually just he really. I mean, it's like very rare that he's not here, but when he isn't, he really, his heart is so with this community. And so, um, so I just really want to share with you his heart and his warm regards. And it happened to be that I was scheduled to preach anyway, so that kind of worked out fortuitously. And so, uh, as Andrew said, we have been in a sermon series entitled Life As It Should Be. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and today we want to continue by diving right into Scripture, right? So Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh, let's pray together as we begin. Jesus, we thank you so much for this time that you've carved out for us to be able to receive, drink deeply from you, from your word. We thank you for this instruction, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us the words of life. And whether this is a very familiar passage to us or whether this is our first time hearing it, our hearts are the same, which is that we want you, Lord. We want what you have for us, what only you can speak to us. You apply your word to our lives so powerfully. We want to grow, and we want all that you have. So we open wide our hearts, our minds to receive from you this morning. We say, Lord, come and have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is the very famous Lord's Prayer. It's probably the most famous prayer in all of Christianity and Scripture. And from the mountains of books and commentaries and sermon series that have been written expounding this amazing text, we are going to strive together today to create our own, like, Cliff Notes version of it, right? Am I, am I dating myself here? There were some older people in first time. I was like, yes, Cliff Notes, right? Like back in school uh, where you would kind of try to put together a little cheat sheet and it would have like, or you would use this little cheat sheet would have kind of the main themes and takeaways from a text you were studying. <laughs> That's what we're going to try to do. Why? Because there is so much packed in here and I want to encourage you as we begin to buckle up and really like dive in because it is like drinking from a fire hydrant or like uh, trying to eat everything you can from a buffet in half an hour, right? <laughs> to try to really look at this text well in just one sitting. So, all right. So with that said, are you ready? Yes? Yes? With me? Okay, great. All right. So let's dive in. Jesus begins by saying this, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Okay, so first, Jesus says, when you pray, which means, he assumes, we will pray. It is a given. It is not a question. And interestingly, he also assumes that when we pray, that we'll be tempted to pray in ways that are unhelpful. 
And so he speaks to that. Last week, Pastor Chris spoke, and um, Jesus was uh, in that text pointing out how we might be tempted to pray religiously, like just to check off a religious box or to impress the people around us with our words. And this week, Jesus is saying that we might be tempted to pray as a way of kind of using or manipulating God for our own ends, as if he's some kind of big heavenly vending machine. Just insert the right line of prayer and out comes that spouse you were looking for or that promotion, right? And Jesus is saying, no, no, this is not how we're meant to approach prayer. And to be clear, uh, Jesus is not opposed to a particular format of prayer, okay? So he uh, is not opposed to lengthy prayers. The Bible says that he prayed all night at times. He's not uh, opposed necessarily to, like, repetitive prayers. Uh, the Bible shows us that just before he's crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays a few times, very similar things. So it's not about the form of the prayer, but rather it's about the posture of our heart as we enter into prayer. He's saying that we shouldn't be entering into prayer with an attitude of manipulating God, trying to use him for our own ends, and we also shouldn't enter into prayer uh, as if we're earning something from God by praying long enough or in just the right ways, all right? As one commentator put it, he said this, he said, it will be seen that the fundamental difference between various kinds of prayer is in the fundamentally different images of God which lie behind them. The tragic mistake of the Pharisees and pagans, of hypocrites and heathen, is to be found in their false image of God. Indeed, neither is really thinking of God at all, for the, hyp- for the hypocrite thinks only of himself, while the heathen thinks of other things right, that they're looking for. What sort of God is it who might be interested in such selfish and mindless prayers? Is God a commodity that we can use him to boost our own status or a computer that we can feed words into him mechanically? Now, my son Joel is four, and he's already a master negotiator. So the other day, he and I and his father, uh, we walked by an ice cream truck. Joel's like, oh, can I have an ice cream? Can I have an ice cream? Please, 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 please. He says, because if I get an ice cream, you could get an ice cream too. Or we we could share an ice cream. I really want to get it so I can share with you. It'll be a family ice cream. Like, wow, this kid is good. No, like already. And sometimes I think when we approach God in prayer, we can feel a little bit like that, like we're negotiating with him to see if we can kind of convince him of the thing we think would be great. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When we pray to our Heavenly Father, this is not what's going on. Instead, he says, do not be like them, them, the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need before you ask him. Wow. Consider when you've had a need, especially maybe a more significant one, like you need um, to be healed of this major health concern or income or a conflict to be resolved and how we can tend to feel so easily like, God, are you there? Do you not care? Are you not aware? Is something wrong? We can be easily tempted to kind of think those ways and hear Jesus saying, no, no, your Father who loves you, he knows already. So I want to invite you to consider Um, as we begin this morning, before we even look at this prayer, what needs or concerns are on your heart, right? If you were praying today, what might be coming up? Whatever those are, I want to encourage you. Jesus is saying, he knows. He's near. He's your good father. He loves you. He knows your need. He cares about you. Now, some of us, we might wonder uh, a very good question that putting these things all together, okay, if God already knows our need and he cares, and if he's God and sovereign, 
then why do we pray? You know, like, why bother praying? What is the point of it? And that's actually a really good and valid question. I want to name it, and I think that as we unpack the Lord's Prayer, some answers will be emerging. So I want us to hang on to that question, all right, as we continue. Okay, so with that said, let's continue. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Now, um, Again, Jesus is assuming we will pray, and he provides a model for us. And the model he provides for us is uh, powerful when we pray it, as we often do, word for word, whether on our own or together with others, when we recite it, when we pray it as a memorized prayer. And commentators kind of agree as they look at the way Jesus introduces this prayer that Jesus probably intended it to be also more than that. An example on which we could model our own prayers to God that shows us kind of the posture of our hearts and elements we include. And because of that, this is an excellent prayer to use as a springboard for our prayers, that we could go through it like line by line and use almost each line as like a prompt for our own prayers. I want to uh, share with you guys that we have a resource on our website. Uh, if you go to the top level menu of our, our website, resources, I don't know how many of you have ever bothered to explore our website, but there's a resources tab. And if you click it, there's resources on Bible study, prayer, fasting. So you click into prayer. The first resource listed is on the Lord's Prayer. It's a PDF. You can download it, use it online, print it out, however it works for you. And it ties in other scripture. It brings some questions and prompts to help us to pray on our own this prayer. And so as we begin today, I want to point out that resource to you. You can do it at length in one sitting. You can do it in a shorter sitting if that's the time you have. You can break it up and do different chunks over a few days, whatever works for you. Why? Because what we do here on Sundays is meant to equip and empower us for the whole rest of our lives. So our lives with God are primarily lived outside of the time of Sunday service, right? And so I want to equip you with this and encourage you to check it out, all right? All right, so with that said, let's now dive into the Lord's Prayer. Okay, we're going to look at it today in three segments. The introduction, the first set of three petitions, then the last set of three petitions. Okay, so intro, first half, second half. We're going to spend about the same amount of time on each of those three things. All right, so okay, with that said, let's start by looking at the intro. The introduction is where Jesus says, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Just four words. So much impact. Okay, so first, let's not skip over the literal first word, our, our, right? Because I think in our very individualistic Western society, subconsciously, I think a lot of us, we translate that our into my, right? My father, as we start to pray. It's very natural for us to think, and we're kind of conditioned to, um, in some cases to erroneously think that all that matters in our spiritual life is us and God. But Jesus, with one word, shifts our posture already and says, no, no, life is fundamentally communal and relational. We are tied together with a wider community here at Hope Astoria, the capital C church, and really all of creation. God is father of all, and he's concerned about all. So as we pray, it's not just about us and our needs, but he cares for all of us. God shifts our posture. And then he says, Father, our Father. Now, for those of us who are Christian, we are very accustomed to calling God Father. So when we read this, it doesn't necessarily stand out to us the way it would have to the listeners of Jesus in his day, right, in his context. Here's how one commentator puts it. He says, in antiquity, both Jews and Gentiles, even if they addressed God as Father, tended to begin their prayers with titles stressing God's greatness, lordship, etc. It was distinctive that Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way, 
our Father. It was really a new understanding of the nature of God that Jesus was teaching his disciples. So this is really remarkable because in their time, what they focused on was the, the almighty God as opposed to Father God, so intimate, so um, casual in a way, so near, um, almost sacrilegious right, in, the, in that time. And so um, now we know that uh, our earthly fathers... With our earthly fathers, they're human. And so there can be good memories, but there can be bad memories too. They can, they can sin against us. They can abandon us. There can be hurt. But when Jesus refers to God, our heavenly father, he's talking about a perfect father, God's commitment to us in loving relationship, his intimacy and nearness and accessibility to us, his, um, his, his role as creator that he knows us through and through that he's our provider, our protector, right? And so because of these qualities of God, we don't enter into prayer as a beggar or a stranger fearing to offend the king, but rather we come as a child to their parent, right? Because if we're saying our father, God is father, then who are we? We're children. Later on in Matthew, in the same gospel, Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven at all, we must come with the posture of little children. And so in this prayer he teaches us, he teaches us this same posture to enter prayer from the posture of being a child. Now, you think about a child uh, and uh, the relationship of a a secure relationship of a child with a good parent. There is respect. There's also love and freedom to share their whole heart and a joyful expectation of good. I mean, kids are pretty uninhibited. They could pee their pants and be like, I want to sit on your lap. You know, (laughs) that's just how they are, right? They're very uninhibited. And so, you know, as Pastor Chris used to say, the only person who isn't afraid to barge in on the king in the middle of the night, wake him up, is his kid, right? (laughs) And so there is that kind of intimacy and accessibility as well. All right, and then Jesus says that God is our Father in heaven. Now, in heaven, we might be tempted to just skip over because we're like, wait, wait, that's true. It's not super relevant. But sometimes I think it feels to us as if um, maybe we were having a conversation with someone and they were saying to us, oh, the other day I had a great trip. I went up the Empire State Building, you know, in Manhattan, in New York State, uh, in the U.S., on planet Earth. (laughs) We'd be like okay, like, why are you, I mean, that's true, but you kind of edit that out, like, you don't have to say that, we all know that's true, you know, but I want to say Jesus is very intentional with everything he includes in this prayer, it's very short, in the English translation, it's only something like 57 words, right, so every little bit he puts in there, there's purpose, and if we take the time to linger on in heaven, instead of just moving past it, we realize there's such richness there, such truth that's being communicated. We realize, for example, that we are people on earth. He is God in heaven. He's beyond our ability to comprehend or certainly to be able to judge. He's transcendent. He's great. There's this juxtaposition of the intimacy of Father with the transcendence and almighty greatness of in heaven that together really captures this range of who God is to us and who he is in his character and being. And we also recognize, as we say in heaven, that where heaven is where God dwells. Where God dwells, everything is right and good and as it should be. And that's what we long for. We realize what we long for is to dwell with God. We realize what we long for is paradise, is heaven, because that's our true home. Our citizenship is there. It's not on earth. 
So you see, there's such richness, right? Guys, Scripture is so rich. So much comes out of just taking our time with even just this little bit, right? If we choose to meditate on it as we're instructed to. Okay, and so we put it all together. Jesus says, our Father in heaven. And we recognize that Jesus is not just giving a quick intro to the prayer. Jesus is not concerned about etiquette, like, this is how to address the Queen of England, your majesty. You know? No, no, he's not focused on protocol, right, etiquette. What he's concerned about is truth, that we would enter into prayer from the right frame of mind. Because it's always wise as we begin to pray, to spend time deliberately recalling who God is. I'll say it again, right? It's always wise as we begin to pray to spend time deliberately recalling who God is. Because it's only then that we can come to our Father with you know, humility, devotion, confidence, like a state of heart that will be really fruitful in prayer. I want to invite us, you know, as we consider when we pray, what tends to be our posture or our state of heart as we begin, right? A lot of times we don't even think about that. We, um, for me, I'll confess, you know, sometimes I enter into prayer and I feel like, oh, God's probably disappointed in me. You know? Like, you know, I, I just keep not making the mark, right? What is it for you that you notice these thoughts or these feelings tend to recur that's not our Father in heaven? Maybe it's a sense of, oh, God's going to... It's going to be bad. Like, he's, it's going to be harsh. You know, God's going to be harsh. Or maybe he's mad. Or maybe he's just not here at all. He's checked out. Or maybe I haven't done enough for him to be really present with me, and he's, he's mad. Or maybe, will he really be good to me in this situation? I don't know. Right? These thoughts crowd our minds, and we often don't think twice about them. We just enter into prayer as if they're true, and we, you know, maybe try to work them out with God because, you know, with whatever we're feeling, we don't always stop and, and consider. But the reality is that we live in a fallen world. All the time, lies are coming in and bombarding us, and, and um, you know, it's like we can't help but like kind of have them seep in a bit and start to distort how we see God how we see ourselves in our relationship. And so at the beginning of our prayer time, what we need is like a heavenly chiropractor, like, you know, to realign our backbone so that we can enter prayer from the appropriate posture. And we can say, you know what? No, those are lies that are trying to blind and bind me. And oh, what a relief to remember. No, God is good. He is merciful. He does care. He is near. He is always going to do what's good and right. But whatever it is for us that we might be forgetting and to remind ourselves and reroot ourselves in those things. Because, you know, think about any conversation. If we enter into a conversation with even a person and our hearts are in a weird place, right, like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm a little suspicious of that person's motives towards me, or I'm afraid they're going to lash out at me, I'm afraid of them. Like, we're going to carry that weirdness. The conversation's probably going to be tense and weird, you know, like, because we carry that into the conversation. Even if the other person's well-meaning, it's like, no, really, you know. So our posture as we enter prayer, what we're feeling about God, what we think is true about him matters a great deal, and Jesus is pointing that out here. And for him, maybe it was just four words, because he was always aligned with God, the Father. But for us, it would really benefit us to park here and take our time. Take our time. Let God do that chiropractic work on us. 
Let him root out those lies and distortions. Let him remind us again and refresh us with what's true, that he's our Father in heaven. As we do that, then we'll be able to continue, right, in prayer. Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me walk us briefly through these statements, still Cliff Notes style, right? All right, so first, hallowed be your name. A name in antiquity meant a great deal more than it does today, where it's just a moniker, you could be called by something else, you could change your name. In antiquity, a name represented all of a person's character and their activity in the world. So when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, and invites us to pray that, he's not, it's not like God is vain and he just wants his name in neon lights. No, what Jesus is saying is he's inviting us to pray that everyone would recognize the true nature and character of God, that he's wholly good and therefore worthy of reverence, that our holy God would be seen as holy and treated as holy by everyone because that's who he is and what he deserves. And then Jesus continues and says, your kingdom come. Now, this little phrase, kingdom, kingdom of God, Jesus actually says it quite a bit in the Gospels. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come upon you. It's this funny little phrase, and we might wonder, what does it mean? Does it mean, you know, heaven? Does it mean Jesus? Like, I have come near you. Does it mean heaven has come? Does it mean Christianity or the people of God or the church? And we might wonder what it's referring to, this little slightly cryptic-sounding phrase. So I think it's worth unpacking a little bit. Uh, when Jesus says the kingdom of God, he's not referring to a person or a place. He's referring to God's rulership. Right? He's talking about what the world would be like if everything was as God wants it to be without sin and brokenness, without the forces of evil. It's our world as God would have it. Now, God is already in authority and control, so in a blink of an eye, he could enforce that authority. and Everything would be as he would have it. But in his mercy, he delays that. Why? To give as many of us rebellious people a chance as possible to return to him before he fully enforces that authority. The Bible tells us we live in this kind of in-between time where Jesus has died and resurrected and inaugurated, like sounded the victory call of Jesus, of, of God's kingdom coming and his authority on earth. And one day he will come again and that authority will be had in full at that point. But in between, what's happening? God is in this in-between time. Though he's in his mercy, not yet fully enforcing that authority, he's still all about bringing everything into alignment with him, making things good and right, renewing all things. And he's inviting us to, to pray that and to cooperate with him in that. And that's why he tells us to pray, your kingdom come, present tense, and also future tense. So this is why we as Christians do not um, simply become Christian and then say, well, all that really matters is eternity. So I guess I'll just, you know, chill out until I die and go to heaven or Jesus comes again. Right? No, in this in-between times, it matters what we do, that we cooperate with God. This is why we care about justice, that we care about our neighbors and loving our neighbors and service. Why? Because God cares about it. He's bringing his kingdom now. This is what he's all about, the renewal of all things. And we're invited to join him in that. And then finally, uh, Jesus prays, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? And this 
first half of the, of the prayer. That's the third petition, and it's obviously clear, closely related to your kingdom come. And um, now this line of the prayer is the one that Jesus actually prays himself, okay, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, when he prays just before he's crucified, and he says, not my will, but yours be done. And commentators even note, like, oh, the grammar matches. Like. And so this prayer, Jesus himself prayed, and he um, lived in fullness in his death as well as in his life. He says, I only did what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. And he is instructing us to pray that same way and to live that way, wholly surrendered. Our lives is in full obedience to God. Now, if we were to make our own model prayer, right, uh, off of how we tend to pray or sometimes pray, maybe one of our model prayers might sound something like this. God who's out there, I'm really anxious right now. Um, please, would you fix this? I really need you to fix this. Here's how I think you could fix this. Could you fix it this way? Why haven't you fixed this yet? Don't you care? Did I do something wrong? Well, anyway, please fix it. Fix it this way. And also, please, could you fix it soon? Like, as soon as possible? Please, please. Thank you so much. Amen. Right? Like, just being real here. <laughs> For some of us, you know, this might be a big part of how we pray. And, you know, just... But Jesus, we see Jesus spends over half of his prayer, like the introductory line and three out of six petitions, aligning his heart with God. And now Jesus' heart was always aligned with God, but he knew who he was teaching, that we would need this, this time. It's like I picture as we're praying these things that it's like we're sewing our hearts together with God to make ourselves more one with him as we pray. And so we see, you know, if we go back to that question we asked earlier, if God is sovereign and he's in control and he already knows our needs, then why do we bother praying? We see here that there are already so many reasons why we pray. We pray in order to commune with God. He's like our favorite person in the world and we want to deepen our relationship with him. We pray as an act of worship to God. Hallowed be thy name. Our worship is not only when we sing, but really with our whole lives and certainly with our prayers as well. We worship God. We pray in order to break through the lies of this world that are starting to take root in our heart and say, no, this is what's true. This is who God is. This is who I am. This is our relationship. And be reestablished in that. And we pray to surrender and to ask God's help to be able to surrender more. Your will be done. Help me, Lord, to surrender. So we see there's so much going on, right? So many reasons why we pray. And you see how much of this is forming us as we pray outwardly, yet we're being formed inwardly. And this is really in keeping with the whole Sermon on the Mount, right? And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching to his followers of his instruction to look inward and see what needs to change in us as we seek to follow him. The Lord's Prayer, though it's a prayer and it's filled with petitions and it is outward focused, and yet it is so much about our formation that we are transformed as we pray in these ways. And as we pray these ways and we're formed, then we can enter into the back half of this prayer where Jesus so graciously (laughs) invites us to pray for our many needs. And he says, give us today our daily bread And here we see Jesus invites us to ask, right? We know that there is no spirit of trying to use God for our own ends here because we literally just prayed, your will be done, right? That was the last line of prayer. But rather our posture here 
is one of acknowledging everything we have comes from God, and it's a humble dependence on God that honors Him. We see that God is saying just because He knows our needs doesn't mean He doesn't want us to ask. Now, for some of us, our model prayers are like what I just said. You know, it's like, okay, we ask a lot, and maybe we're realizing, okay, we maybe neglect some of these other types of prayer that Jesus is encouraging us towards. But for others of us, we don't ask. Maybe we're afraid of being disappointed. Maybe we think, well, God already knows, and I don't know, so no, just, we don't ask. But we see here that neither of those extremes are what Jesus models for us. He tells us to ask. Right? And in fact, other parts of Scripture say you don't have because you don't ask. Scripture indicates that there is spiritual power that's released as we pray. That's real, especially as we pray from a posture of that submission and surrender to God, of dependence and trust on Him. Right? So we see the issue is not the asking, but rather the posture of our heart as we ask. Are we asking from a place where we're seeking control? And to depend on the things we're asking, or are we asking from a place of confidence in God and acknowledging our need of Him and trust that we trust Him, our good Father? When we ask from a place of that submission, it really goes back to kind of like being a child again, right? It honors Him. Think about any parent would be very sad if their kid didn't feel comfortable to come to them with whatever's on their heart. Right? They want their kid to come with their boo-boos, their wants, their needs, and any good parent is going to give their child as much as they can without spoiling the child. And that's what God does for us. And again, if you think about coming as a child and how, how much do kids know of what's going to happen, especially little ones, right, in a month or a year or five years, they don't really know a lot, but what they know is that they have a loving parent who's taking care of them. And because of that, they're not so worried, Right? And this is how we're invited to enter prayer. Again, Jesus sets us up from the beginning, father, child. And as we enter prayer, we pray from that posture, and it shapes so much of how we ask and what we, how we pray. Another thing of note here is that, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm often maybe tempted to pray. Uh, like, I'm not so sure about the whole daily today thing. Like, Jesus, um, instead of praying, uh, give me today, you know, give us today our daily bread, I pray, God, could you give me, like, 10 years worth of bread, or lifetime supply of bread, and also uh, silos to store it in, and an assurance that it will never go away, right? We want just that assurance that everything will be good for always. That's the longing of our heart. Really, it's a longing for heaven, you know? But God is not going to set us up so that our trust and assurance is in things and not in our relationship with Him. And He's not going to set us up where we live a life we don't need faith and we can just forget about Him. That would really actually be not good for us. Right? So we see that he invites us to pray this prayer that's very present-focused, right? that, that um, says, today, today, oh, would you supply my need? And in tomorrow I need to ask you again? That doesn't mean there's necessarily a problem, right? It, it means God is inviting us to ask, to continue to ask, to continue to trust, and he's aware of our needs. All right, so and then Jesus says, okay, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we see here that Jesus is very comprehensive. Okay, he knows we have material needs, but we also have relational and spiritual needs. And um, if we were billionaires, we had everything in the world, but our hearts were filled with like um, either guilt and heaviness or bitterness and hardness. 
what life would we have? That would be no life at all. So Jesus here, he recognizes we need forgiveness and we need to be able to forgive. And he extra emphasizes this particular part, point in prayer because this is the one thing that after the prayer ends, he circles back to it with a little additional instruction. He says this in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wait, what? You know, like, do you ever read scripture just kind of going along and it all sounds fine, and then you read something and kind of do a double take? Like, this line of scripture makes you like sit up and your eyes wide. Because how important is it to you to have the forgiveness of the Father? Very important, right? Like, the most important thing. <laughs> and so we look at this line and it makes us sit up. Now, to be clear, you know, the Bible tells us that we do not earn forgiveness by forgiving enough other people well enough, you know? We, we, forgiveness is a free gift that is completely based on what Jesus has done for us, his death and resurrection, not on our striving or our earning. And we see God really is underlining this, that this is critical, that we would be all committed to moving towards forgiveness. Why does Jesus call this out? I think Jesus here is telling us that there must be integrity in how we live. And in fact, there will be, like it or not, there will be integrity in how we live. So if we live out of grace, able to forgive others, we are able to be forgiven ourselves as well because we live believing that grace is what drives life. But if we live saying, on occasion, something happens and we say, uh-uh, that one, that's too evil. That costs me too much. The person's not even sorry. They're not sorry enough. They haven't done enough to make it up to me. I will not forgive that. If that's ever the attitude of our heart, then that same attitude we're applying there, like it or not, consciously or subconsciously, we are going to apply that same thing to ourselves. There will be situations where we do not believe we can be forgiven if we mess up bad enough or whatever it is. We will be living our life driven by a need to avoid that, to prove ourselves. There'll be this striving. We'll either be prideful or we'll be despondent if we fail. We will be formed into like the Pharisees in Scripture or the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son where there's this um, religious legalism and striving. That's really what we're living out of. And God is saying that road leads to death. That's poison. You have to be committed. You have to be committed to working against that. And as with anything that God tells us, so many things he tells us are hard. Sometimes forgiveness is really hard to do. And we acknowledge that, right? We can tell God. We can just, like with anything he tells us, we just ask his help. We say, God, you tell me to forgive. I want to forgive. I am finding it so hard. My heart is really hard towards this person. Right now in prayer, I am choosing to say the words, I forgive this person as an act of my will. And I'm praying, Lord, would you help me to forgive? Would you soften my heart? Would you shape me? Because I want what you're saying. And he loves to answer that prayer. Right? He loves to answer that prayer. And that's our road, you know, of commitment to this. If it helps at all, uh, Jesus talks about uh, the uh, forgiveness here in terms of in monetary terms, in terms of debts. So if it helps at all, you could think of it this way. Forgiveness is like when somebody hurts you. Maybe they break something of yours. Maybe it's something material. Maybe they break your heart. 
And it's costly. It costs you something when they do that. When you're forgiving them, you're saying, I'm not looking to you to make this right, to repay it. Because A, you might not even be willing to or want to. B, even if you try to, you're human, and you can never repay it because it just should never have happened in the first place. So really, you can't repay it. So I'm not going to look to you to repay it. You can't repay it. But you know who can repay it? Your rich daddy. Our father in heaven, right? Who's also our dad. He can repay it. He does repay it for all of us. And what we're saying is we look to him to make us whole, to give us hope, a new beginning, to make things right. It's not to say that there might not still be sorrow or cost or pain that we carry, but it, I want to acknowledge that. It's just to say we're not looking to this person to make us whole, to give us hope. We're looking to God. He is the one who is able. And that's what we're saying when we forgive. I'm not looking to you, human being. I'm looking to God. My hope is in him. And then finally, Jesus prays, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the Bible tells us that uh, not to ever accuse God of tempting us because he's holy and he cannot be tempted and he cannot tempt others. This Greek word that's translated as temptation also means trial. And uh, so what we're saying is, God, I recognize I'm human and I struggle. Please keep me from those things where I might really just get overwhelmed and fail, right? Um, think about times where, have, if you ever, uh, maybe in a relationship with a friend or a significant other, have you ever been afraid of disappointing someone so you overpromised? And then later on you're like, Oh no, I've made a terrible mistake. I can't do all this. I'm totally going to underdeliver. You know, because you were like afraid. You wanted to like, you really wanted to be able to do all this stuff. You just, sometimes I think we approach prayer like that. It's interesting, right? Jesus doesn't tell us to pray like, make me superhuman that I would never ever fail. And of course, we want to pray. We want to overcome sin. We do. This prayer, this model encourages us that we can come to God with reality. We are sinners and we struggle. We need help. Please help us, right? And out of that posture, God receives us, that humble posture of dependence. And then when we do fail, when we do encounter evil, he encourages us, deliver us from the evil one. We pray, deliver us from the evil one. And the Greek here that's translated in different versions of the scripture is either evil or evil one. Commentators agree it, Jesus is using it very broadly. So he's referring here to anything that harms us. That could be Satan and his forces. That could be uh, humanity and its brokenness. All that harms us okay, is covered in this. And wow, how, how encouraging is that? That we would pray, God, deliver us. Deliver us from evil, from all that would harm us. So we see in this second half of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus addresses our needs very comprehensively, material, spiritual, relational, moral, and the thread that combines all of them is our posture, the posture of our heart, one of dependence and trust and humility, trust in our loving God. All right, so as we wrap up today, I want to invite the uh, worship team to come up. And before we wrap up, I want to invite us to one more thing, which is that I want to invite us to consider what has been standing out to us as we've been walking our way, learning through the Lord's Prayer today. What's maybe stood out to us as, oh, that's something I don't take that much time with, or I might neglect a little, or the Lord's just prompting me a bit, spend some time in that this week. 
I want you to think about it, maybe even if it's like a multiple choice and you like circle the lines that you're like, right, those kind of stood out to me. What is it for you? Is it dwelling on the beauty and the character of God? Is it letting God have time to knit your heart and his together that your desires would be more one? That you'd be rooted in what's true? Is it asking God to increase your faith in his goodness so that you could really pray, your will be done, Lord? Is it learning to ask for your needs today rather than relying on yourself and not asking or asking for 10 years worth of things? Is it forgiveness? Or is it help to be able to forgive? Or is it a request for help to keep us from those places of struggle and temptation and to deliver us? What stands out to you? I want to invite us to close our eyes even now. And let the Holy Spirit bring to mind, bring to heart what he wants to. Just pay attention to his gentle whisper. What is he drawing you to pay attention to today? Wherever he's calling you to say, hey, press in here. Spend some time here praying this way. Let's say yes to God. God, we say yes to you. Today, this week, we're going to make some time. We're going to press in to what you're saying will give us life. Thank you. 